Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Gardner, and I talk about traumatic brain injury recovery. And today I'm pleased to be talking with Richard Green, social worker. Traumatic brain injury recovery. Hi, Richard. Hello, Dan. Richard, tell you? me, fine, thank you. Yeah. Tell me, what is a social worker and what do you do in your role as social worker at Sharp Rehab? Broadly speaking, distinguishing between, say, psychologists, social workers, and, and psychiatrists such as yourself, our expertise is more in resources and referral, as well as counseling. We might have a better knowledge of that kind of stuff, mm. where psychologists typically do testing and also psychotherapy. The inpatient mm. social workers are very involved in getting the family and the patient mobilized to go home after this traumatic injury or illness, whether it's a stroke, a spinal cord injury, or a brain injury. The patient's life has changed, the family's life has changed, so the job is to get them mobilized, but at the same time we have to arrange a safe discharge. And so mm -hmm. sometimes resources take the primary spot for inpatient social workers, and if they've done their job, I work in outpatient, Hopefully, when I get them in outpatient, the brass tax type stuff of social security, uh, attendant care, whatever is needed, is in place. And I perhaps do more adjustment counseling. So initially, it sounds like there's a flurry of activity because of the short lengths of stay. Yes. You know, I've been doing this since the 80s, and the length of stay for any particular patient is probably a third, with spinal cord injury actually probably less than a third, of the time we used to get with people back in those days. What's the average length of stay now? With brain injury, it's hard to say. There's so much difference. Um, mm -hmm. With a quadriplegic, we have them for five months. Now we have them for about six weeks. Paraplegic, maybe three or four weeks. Now we have them where we used to have them for three or four months. With brain injuries, we might have somebody a couple of weeks or up to a couple of months, Understood. depending on how, how severe the injury is. I see. Yeah. So start, starting with the inpatient work, what sort of resources do the inpatient social workers work on and help the family with? You started to name a few. Can you list those for me? Well, there's social security. Sometimes there's a need for a housing change if accessible housing is needed. So referral to housing agencies, referral to the county for in-home support services, sometimes referral to Medi-Cal for health insurance, referrals to talking about brain injury, maybe the San Diego Brain Injury Foundation, the Southern Caregiver Resource Center, mm -hmm. which is an agency that targets the families of anybody with a brain injury mm -hmm. and can provide some legal assistance, peer mm -hmm. support and that kind of thing, and sometimes respite care. There's just a myriad of resources, sometimes getting families set up on family leave, helping interface with the patient's employer or high school or college, whatever, to get leaves and things like that. As you know, every brain injury is different. And there's a lot of resources out there, a lot more than there were in the 80s, for instance, but they're all strapped financially. And so we just piece things together, really. Sure. So it's a challenge. It's a big task for inpatient social workers. Yes. And getting them mobilized much quicker, as I mentioned. And so often the patients go home, the PTs, the physical therapists, occupational therapists do a pretty good job of getting people ready to go home, but they haven't incorporated the enormity of what's happened to them, all the changes. They may still be in a lot of denial. Mm -hmm. um, and shock. People, yeah. And shock. If I can yeah. just get home, everything will be okay. And then of course, yeah. 
everything isn't okay. So yes, the, the short stays has really put a lot of pressure on social work because mm. our job really centers around the start of the stay and the end of the stay. The start of the stay, trying to get a sense from family of who this patient is, who he was before, and what might be the best ways to work with him, what are his resources, what are his strengths, etc., and communicating that to the team, getting a sense of what a discharge plan might be, and then working toward that, and then getting all the resources in place, the home health, if the person's going home or outpatient, if they're able to come back for outpatient here or elsewhere. Would you have a yeah. sense of what percentage of people discharged from inpatient rehab then go on to the outpatient phase? The majority of people end up in outpatient, I would say 90%. Are there brain injury outpatient programs at Sharp? Yes, we have a community reentry program post rehab. It's always dependent on customizing it for the patient. Sometimes patients would do better with one-on-one -on -one therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech initially before they go into this community reentry program, which has those therapists on staff, but it's not always one-on-one. -on -one. It's more group-oriented, as it, as it states, getting people acclimatized to go back to the community, be out in the community, maybe go back to work. And that is covered by most private insurance, mm -hmm. not by Medicare and Medi-Cal. Scripps Encinitas up the coast has a similar program. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure somebody has talked about the incredible program over the other side of the freeway here at Mesa College, the Acquired Brain Injury Program, which is mm -hmm. an alternative to post-acute. So after people have finished either an outpatient or community reentry, we'll try and often get them over there. Richard, you said you're working in the outpatient program at rehab. Can you tell me what does a social worker do What's your role in the patient's recovery? Well, as I mentioned, sometimes there's still resources mm -hmm. to bring to bear, especially when the outpatient ends. There's a tendency for patients to feel like, well, that's it. You guys are giving up on me. What am I going to do now? How could you do this sort of thing? And so getting them hooked up with things like Mesa College program, community exercise programs, that they can continue getting better physically. So it's a common feeling for patients to feel discarded? Quite common, yes. Mm -hmm. And therefore have hope for the future rather than feeling still unacceptable and comparing themselves with how well they did things before and all those things that you're so familiar with that patients can put themselves through. One concern you mentioned is that because of the early discharge, they might feel rejected or, in my word, discarded, and they're out there on their own prematurely. So you're trying to help them with resources and with some counseling. And so what are some of the brain injury patients' biggest concerns or worries? Once they have a sense of actually what's happened and where they are now, Mm -hmm. It's, can I get my life back? Can I have a successful marriage? Can I, a lot of different things. Can I get back to work? Can I get back to running? Can I get back to mm -hmm. uh, whatever it might be that they feel was important in their previous life? Can I be a productive member of society? Do you have some examples of patients you've worked with at rehab? I've got a lot of them. I mean, if you look at patients that on, well, there's lots of spectrums you can look at them on, but if you look at it from being very dependent, probably going to need full-time supervision or close to it prolonged period of time to somebody that's very high level dealing with some high level cognitive problems that mm -hmm. may restrict their going back to work, kind of assessing where they are, whether there's still denial going on, whether there's still grief about mm -hmm. the loss, 
that you have to work through before you get them going in a direction. At this one end of the spectrum where this actually this gal got to live by herself, which was kind of amazing, with a dog and some care coming in. So for her, it was kind of getting her more socially involved. I was actually visiting her at home. And that's what I found with brain injured more than any other population. I kind of go the extra mile as far as doing things that you wouldn't normally associate with psychotherapy or counseling, because you really have to be a bunch of different things, a coach, in my case, a wise elder, (laughs) as I'm getting older now, a cheerleader, a guide. So with that particular gal, I, she lived near the bike path. So I took her down to the start of the bike path and she was able to go down there with her dog and met all these dog people down there. Oh, so it's a tremendous okay. social. With another guy that w- had been a, an athlete, I went running with him, just kind of mm-hmm. did, chatted with him while we were running. Still maintaining, I'm the counselor, you're the client, but making it as collegial sure. as possible. So adult to adult, one thing that I've found has worked really well for me in explaining what happens to families and patients is the old transactional analysis. Um, I'm okay, you're okay. We all as adults have a parent, an adult and a child, these ego states. And mm-hmm. what gets out of whack after any traumatic event, but particularly brain injury, is that the patient has all these people, whether it's doctors, therapists, etc., and then their family talking to them in a hopefully supportive parental way. So they can get stuck in this almost child state where they're either doing everything they're told to do, or they get rebellious, or they feel miserable about it because most adult relationships should be adult to adult. So I really strive to achieve more of an adult to adult relationship with these guys. Right. Um, Well, I think what you're saying is when anyone's injured and especially a a severe and a a permanent injury, there's a regression to a childlike state of mind and an old familiar, but less adaptive ways of dealing with their own feelings and interacting with other people. Yeah, it's so true. And families complain to it. They say, well, he kind of reminds me of the way he was when he was 13 years old. So I guess I'll just treat him like that and things will be all right. But if it goes on indefinitely, it's kind of unhealthy for the patient. I'm trying to reinforce their adult. Sure. So that they can then go on to explore what their goals are and move towards being independent. You optimize their resources, then their internal resources. Their internal resources. How long will you treat brain injured patients through the outpatient clinic? Is this months or weeks or years? Mm -hmm. I have kind of an open door, and and people will come back for a tune up, you know, a couple of years afterwards. I mean, the other thing is they come back and they're back. They are doing what they wanted to do. They're back in society. They may be going to school. They may be working, but they just need a little tune-up because those comparisons that I talked about earlier of, would I be able to do this better? Would I have been able to do it before? And those things can creep in even down the line, you know, in work work situations. At various milestones in one's life, various developmental stages. And when they reach a certain age and maybe their peers leave them in the dust or their kids grow up and become more independent or they get married or whatever developmental stages in their life, the, the old symptoms can flare up. Yes the kids out playing football and I can't throw the ball properly. Well, it's nice that you're available and that you're not required to cut off the therapy prematurely because these conditions are lifelong. And as we just said, that there are flare-ups or exacerbations 
I like to feel like we follow people from their injury until their last breath, as it were. We have a lot of outpatient programs, especially through our recreation therapy department, sports programs, art programs, skiing, day on the base, just a bunch of different things that people can come back for and do come back for, and groups. I ran a brain injury group for many years. Can you explain what the brain injury group does? Uh I have found that often support coming out of social situations. One group I run now is for all disabilities, and it's got a drama focus. We're sharp players. We uh, rehearse shows, and it's mainly brain injury and stroke, but we have cerebral palsy, MS, spinal Mm -hmm. cord injury patients in it, and we do musicals generally around the topic of raising people's consciousness about uh, disability. Everybody's Mm -hmm. the same. It's just I happen to have a disability. It's one of the most supportive groups I've ever run as far as supporting each other. And Mm -hmm. that comes out of doing something else. And and maybe a bit out of, okay, the, the brain injured individual sees the spinal cord, helps the person physically, and then the spinal cord injury maybe helps the brain injured guy remember some lines or, or or sing, so uh, they all have something of value to contribute. Yeah, yes. And it takes it takes them out of their own particular angst mm-hmm. with their own particular problems and makes them identify with other people. The brain injury group that I ran here for a long time, we'd have guest speakers, mm-hmm. but then it would be a, a talking group. The first group I ever ran with Ron Roof, Dr. Ron Roof, and out of which came the Brain Injury Foundation, we'd have a presentation usually, and then Ron would take the, the survivors and I would take the families, and then we'd regroup. And we certainly found that people can hear things from peers, from other individuals that have had a brain injury, better than often than they can from their family members. And sure. I think it comes back to that ego states again that well partly they really feel that there's somebody that knows what it's like and it's going through the same thing or it's gone through the same thing but also it doesn't feel as parental richard you've had a long career lots of experience in working with chronic disability and including brain injury what advice do you have for survivors what advice do you have for family members and how about for healthcare treaters for family members, it does get better. If people are saying to you, anything you need from me, let me know, take them up on it. Because often people actually, they'd like to make everything okay for you guys, but they can't do that. So if you give them something specific, like cook your lasagna that I like so much and bring us a couple of helpings, or could you take him to this particular appointment and then access as many resources as you can. And, mm-hmm. and for the survivors, it's more take back the roles you've lost as you're able, as you're able and as you feel competent to do it. And if needed, do it with somebody to start with and then start taking them back and normalize your life. Get back to school. If it's Mesa College ABI, it's not San Diego State or Mesa College mainstream classes, but you're back in school. You're learning and you're continuing to move forward and be kind to yourself. Sometimes motivation, is, as you know, actually affected by the brain injury itself and family can say he's not trying or he's not working hard enough and that feeds right into most of us were told at some point in our childhood or life that we weren't working hard enough so it feeds right back into that so trusting yourself and being kind to yourself those are big tests let me say about the family if i understand correctly from my experience family members often have a hard time asking for help or accepting help yeah, I think most of us and are in this, okay, I'm okay, I've got it covered. And then just right. get more and more weighed down by the pressure of caregiving. 
Yeah. Um, well, you know, sometimes it's embarrassing and sometimes people feel ashamed to feel needy or feel like they need help from other people. And as far as the survivor goes, when you say be kind to yourself, I think it's difficult when the survivor has had previous expectations about a level of performance, whether it's physical or, or intellectual performance, and then he or she has an impairment, that's a challenge to be able to accept it and say, well, I'm still okay. I'm yeah. not a, a worthless person. Yeah, yeah, to be able to accept what is, yeah, it's, it's very, very hard. It's a tremendous adjustment. And to like yourself as you are now when, when you're different and you've lost parts of your identity, whether it's work or maybe physical activity or whatever it was, it's a tough job and it's probably a work in progress. Absolutely. It is for all of us, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what about advice for a healthcare treater? With most of the patients here, if somebody's really depressed and is maybe saying it's not worth it, almost threatening suicidal stuff, there's usually a terrible panic. Well, we can say, look, give it two years and see how you feel then. And in that two years, they'll be adjusting to it. Depression is a pretty natural thing to go through. So that's okay. And also the people are going to do what they want to do, no matter what we think is best for them. People may do what they, they're going to do and we, we have to let go. And we're not going to solve a family's deepest problems in a mm -hmm. short rehab stay. A tall order to, to fix in a couple of weeks. And also, I think physical therapists, well, OTs and PTs particularly, if the person's struggling to walk, that's an incredible important role and they become a physical therapist slash psychotherapist. Uh, well, if they're in the midst of acute grief at the loss of these capabilities, I'm sure it's hard to muster the energy and the motivation to get back on their feet again, metaphorically yeah. and, and literally. Yes. I've had PT for various minor injuries and the PT might give me this home program and I'm not great at following through. And it's really hard work. It's harder work than nearly always whatever they've had as a job before. It takes a heck of a lot of determination. So anything else, Richard, about your work with brain injury? They taught me something back in social work school called conscious use of self. So I try and use myself with slightly different, with different people to create that alliance. I read the newspapers. I know a bit about sports. I know a bit about science, et cetera, et cetera. I can connect with a variety of people. I think what you're saying is you're not a blank screen like the image they used to have of a psychoanalyst in the yeah. 1950s were, who said nothing for sessions and just sat behind a couch and wouldn't reveal any personal things about himself or herself. I think what you're saying is you use your personality and you talk, talk about some personal things when you think it's useful for the therapy. Yes, I do disclose more of myself than I would with any other population. And I'm probably more directive, you know, in terms of this would really be a good idea yeah. rather than, you know, these are the ideas. <laughs> here's, here's some choices. Yeah, let, let us yeah, look at okay. the options. And what, uh -huh. yeah. some of the subtler change I know you're aware of is people sometimes have a reduced self-awareness of how they're coming across to other people. So you have to be honest mm -hmm. with them occasionally. For example, if I'm thinking of one guy that I worked with that looked wonderful, had, could be very social, entertaining, but had virtually no memory of the previous day or the people. He'd run into people that knew him and, and it was enormously frustrating. He'd been in the military, he'd had a strong upbringing, policeman father, and he had a very strong idea of what was right and what was wrong. Mm -hmm. So somebody would be slightly inappropriate mm -hmm. and 
it was over at Mesa College for a lot of the times at ABI. So a lot of people were being slightly inappropriate. And he would just get really intolerant and angry. And because he didn't have the history with the person, he couldn't remember the history with the person. Uh, I mean, it took him a long time to know who I was. So he didn't have the good things about this person to balance out. So he'd just flip out and get himself in a lot of trouble. And you just had to pound on him that it's not your memory. It's this anger issue that is your real problem. And you've got to find the, the serene part of yourself. And we worked on that for a long time and mm -hmm. you got better. But he actually managed to live by himself with a studious use of a day timer. Mm -hmm. He also had seizures. So he had to take meds three times a day. Mm -hmm. And he'd put a line through for his morning meds and other line for his midday meds and third mm -hmm. line and and just would write everything he had to do and everything he'd done so and his little joke was no your honor i didn't kill her it's not in my book <laughs> i see he really literally went by the book <laughs> yes indeed okay. i see what have you enjoyed most about your work and what's been the biggest challenge the thing i've enjoyed the most is just seeing how resilient people are and how they come back and how they keep plugging away and are still striving for improvement eight, 10 years after an injury and are kind of back in the swing of things. Maybe things are a bit different, but they've got their lives going and they come back and the pain is gone. The, the emotional pain is gone and they're just back in society. You'd like to be able to do more sometimes. I think you'd like to have more resources. I think you were implying before it would be nice to be able to treat people maybe even more frequently or yeah. longer to see yeah. a greater improvement and a more enduring improvement. But I guess that's all of our challenges in healthcare, doing more with less. Yes, absolutely. Spinal cord injury community, I've always wanted, if I could get everybody a, a modified van, I'm sure if I compared them with a control group that didn't have transportation, their adjustment would be way faster, but who can oh, do that? Yeah. And, and there's a glaring gap with the brain injury population of where parent or family really can't do it, a board and care setting. There's a two or three places, but they're very expensive that have continuing inpatient or uh, residential areas. But for the people that are on social security or SSI, there are board and cares, but they're generally with either old people or psychotic, schizophrenic mm -hmm. people, neither of which are a good group for brain injured guys to be with. Richard, I want to thank you for taking the time and effort to talk with me today, and it was very informative. It's been a pleasure, Dan. Please like, subscribe, and comment.